Welcome to this week's Wireless Noodle. I should say a Happy New Year to you all. Let's hope 2021 is at least a little bit better than 2020 was. Although it has to be said, lots of interesting stuff happened. I mean, it was a pretty big year for the Internet of Things, for instance. Lost uh, lots of remote monitoring and management and there's all sorts of use cases associated with tracking and tracing. And so, you know, it's been a not uninteresting year for IoT, or rather last year was a not uninteresting year. 2021, I guess we've just got to see. It's been a little while since the last one. Apologies for that, but I thought it was time for a little break. Things got pretty busy at the end of 2020, but in a good way. And it means, of course, that I've got a whole bunch of things to talk about in these few podcast episodes. Today, I want to share with you some highlights from a series of reports I wrote recently about mobile private networks. I also want to talk a bit about device management, i.e. making sure that remote devices are secure and working properly and therefore able to support the apps that run on them. And I've got a couple of other things I want to talk about as well. My name is Matt Hatton. This is The Wireless Noodle, your weekly guide to the impact of disruptive new technologies on business. First up, topic of mobile private networks. This has been really high on the technology agenda during 2020. One of the first things I did uh, last year was go to a Vodafone analyst event and they were talking about mobile private networks quite extensively. In fact, not only was that the first event that I went to in the year, it may well have been the last event I went to in the year. No, there were a few others, but it was one of the few early on in 2020 that I managed to get along to, or indeed that anybody managed to get along to. Anyhow, they were talking about a lot. A lot of the other technology vendors, particularly network operators and network infrastructure vendors, are talking about it a lot. In particular, it's seen as what being one of the most immediate opportunities associated with 5G. Although, has to be said, 4G MPNs, have already been deployed in manufacturing, transportation, energy, and a whole bunch of other sectors. The last 12 months has also seen an increasing availability of spectrum, which would be particularly useful for mobile private networks. Back in December at Transformer Insights, we published a series of reports looking at mobile private networks. The first one looked to the reasons why demand for mobile private networks is rising. These include factors like the benefits compared to using other alternative technologies, most prominently improvements in reliability and security, the increasing focus from mobile network operators and telecommunications infrastructure vendors, who I mentioned before, and the recent spectrum allocations, most notably the CBRS auctions in the US, all of which have created a stimulus to adoption. Based on some analysis we've done, we think there's a global addressable market of maybe 42,000 mobile private networks for IoT, excluding agriculture. Agriculture is going to be an odd one because there's going to be all sorts of deployments everywhere around the world just because network coverage isn't particularly good in remote rural areas. But ignoring that agriculture space for a bit, we think 42,000 mobile private networks. That was discussed in the second report that we published, which was looking at, well, obviously forecasting the numbers. And back earlier last year, we published a report which said that we thought there'd be 150 million cellular IoT devices connected to private networks by 2030. One of the main conclusions of these reports is that the maximisation of the value delivered by MPNs 
is dependent on the emergence of a global market. Today, there's a lot of variation between countries, particularly in respect of where Spectrum is available and who might hold it. This means that the NPM market is inhibited and more localized than might be optimum. A global market for NPNs will allow for more specialization among service providers, for instance, focused on specific verticals. More specialization leads to more innovation in services offered, or at least that's my assumption. Over time, we expect NPN adoption to grow relatively rapidly and to see more homogeneity in the deployment environment. For instance, with more countries making dedicated private spectrum available. This almost inevitably goes hand in hand with growing productization of offerings, while at the same time, the contract size will decline. These factors are actually closely linked with average price being a key determinant of adoption and productization being required to reduce price. So what we see is more lower cost solutions going into the market, pulling down the average selling price, but increasing the overall market. At the same time, and perhaps counterintuitively, we also expect there'll be an increasing requirement for value add on top of a pure network offering. The verticals in which MPNs are adopted have very different requirements, particularly for IoT. What a port needs, for instance, is very different from what a factory or a mall or a hospital might need. This means that once the market becomes big enough, ideally globalized, the market will start to fracture, with vendors inevitably layering on vertical specific capabilities as a way to differentiate. The final report in the series looked at who will be the winners. It examined all of the various participants in providing MPNs and how their internal dynamics and interrelationships are likely to evolve in the next five to 10 years. It also proposes Transformer Insights view on who will be the likely winners in terms of realizing the benefit for the market. Ultimately, pure play mobile private networks as a standalone market will not last. The offerings are very useful, but they will ultimately need to be subsumed into one of several bigger portfolios of offerings. Mobile network operators will sell MPNs as part of a wider suite of enterprise services. Enterprise infrastructure vendors can integrate them quite neatly into a wider networking portfolio. And systems integrators will harness them for customized projects covering a broader range of functionality. And there'll also be an emerging set of specialist service providers which will do a similar thing for more vertically focused productized offerings. This all means that telecoms infrastructure vendors who are effectively leading the charge, albeit often selling through mobile network operators, so the likes of Nokia and Ericsson and Huawei, they will need to find a way to add additional value to their vanilla MPN offerings. Another area I've been looking at recently is device management. The changing face of IoT connectivity is driving an increased requirement for device management. I wrote an article recently which examined three of those requirements. Increasing security needs, the rise of low power wide area technologies, and the growing complexity of application implementation. So the first trend that complicates device management is the increase in security requirements for IoT devices. In a way, IoT has been a victim of its own success. If you go back 10 years, there were barely a billion devices that could be described as IoT. Today, that figure is around 9 billion. And by the end of 2030, it will have risen to 25 billion. 
With growing numbers like that comes an exponential increase in interest from hackers. There's also a growing raft of regulations, including in Australia, the EU, Japan and the US, relating to IoT security. While most of them are positioned as voluntary, the likelihood is that the meeting of regulated security requirements will become increasingly important, either because of the risk of sanctions against the manufacturer or by virtue of increasing user demand for compliant solutions. Security demands also need to be balanced with the need for products to be user-friendly, profitable and quick to market. Add in the need to maximise battery life in some cases, as I'll discuss in a moment, and you have a very complex set of interrelated demands. As a result, the idea of layering on security protocols, which will be good for the lifetime of the device, will be increasingly challenging. Hence the need for additional over-the-air device management during the lifetime of the device. The second trend is the growth of low-power wide area devices. I've talked about this an awful lot during the podcast. The sheer volume of these connected devices clearly creates an elevated scale of requirement for device management, but more important are the characteristics of these technologies and the applications they will connect. LPWA devices, by virtue of the technology itself, can support only limited downloads, necessitating a rethink of over-the-air device management. There's a lot of variation between the technologies, but all of them share the same principle, to extend battery life by reducing the amount of traffic being sent and received. For Sigfox, the effective data transfer capacity is around one kilobyte per day, making firmware updates nigh on impossible. But even for higher functioning technologies like MBIoT and LTEM, there's still a big incentive to reduce the amount of traffic being sent and received so as to maintain long battery life. Beyond that, LPWA technologies are overwhelmingly used for applications where human intervention is unlikely. Most IoT devices today are accessible by a human that can, if necessary, stage a manual intervention, we might call it, to correct the device. Major legacy applications from fleet management to industrial SCADA systems are higher value and usually relatively easily accessible. This makes them less painful to have to manually manage than billions of remote environmental sensors, for instance, which individually wouldn't justify a truck roll to reset, and are almost always highly distributed and in hard-to-reach locations. The final trend is slightly more nebulous and relates to the changing nature of application implementation. One aspect of this is the requirement for more efficient provisioning. There's an increasing requirement for devices to be deployed into the field and work without the need for manual intervention. This low or zero-touch provisioning is essential for many IoT applications to be cost-effective. It's a large part of the reason why there will be significant demand for eSIM, not having to mess around with swapping out physical SIM cards. But localization isn't just as simple as SIM cards. It also relates to numerous other functions of the application and the device. Different countries have different regulatory environments relating to data sovereignty, for instance, necessitating different approaches. Also, data delivery, for instance, APNs, need to be configured. All of these things can be done manually, but IoT applications will increasingly rely on zero-touch provisioning, meaning that efficient over-the-air device management is a must. The other big challenge related to application implementation is edge computing. I've talked about that a fair amount as well. There's been a noticeable trend in the last few years for more movement of application processing, including quite sophisticated elements such as machine vision to the edge device. IoT devices are becoming much smarter. To quote Bob Swan, the CEO of Intel, increasingly everything looks like a computer. 
There's a lot of truth in that, but unfortunately, unlike computers, most IoT devices don't have a convenient human to reboot them when they go wrong or to implement patches. Putting more smarts on unmanned edge devices creates a greater device management headache. If you want to know more about this topic, I recommend tuning in on the 19th of January for a webinar that I'm participating in called Cellular IoT for Smart City and Evolving Landscape. I'll be joining representatives of ONCE, IoT Europe and ITRON to discuss the use of cellular technologies for smart cities and the impact of device management and lightweight M2M in IoT. I'll put details on how you can register for that on the Wireless Noodle website. During 2020, Transformer Insights has been analysing hundreds of examples of digital transformation implementations. I've referred to that in a few podcast episodes before. Many of the most cutting edge relate to the use of artificial intelligence, a subject that continues to attract a huge amount of interest from enterprises. There's a lot of talk about the abstract concept of AI, but what really matters to businesses, and that's who I care about, is how it can be used in real life. For instance, streamlining business processes or opening up new revenue opportunities. In an article I wrote recently, I looked at some of the key learnings from the Transformer Insights analysis of hundreds of real-world deployments, including the motivations for, best practice in, and experiences of deploying AI in the real world. First finding is that AI deployments are typically limited to being deployed in relatively mundane applications, but are usually strongly embraced where they are used. The top use cases are for customer behaviour analysis, smart customer support, and personalised marketing. And other widely adopted applications include recommendation engines, chatbots, and repetitive process automation. All of those can be considered to be relatively simple uses for AI. Of the top applications, only really risk analysis and workflow optimization could be considered to be particularly sophisticated. This all implies that AI is focusing still on relatively low-hanging fruit, an idea that's further supported by looking at what level of risk that we at Transformer Insights perceive from the deployment. We rate only 11% of deployments as having a high level of operational risk. Around half have low risk, or actually being deployed as a way of de-risking operations. I, not only do they not themselves present a risk, but they reduce other operational risks to the organisation. We get a similar picture when we examine what aspects of the business are affected by the use of AI. Over 85% of implementations have a significant impact on internal process efficiency. Around half that have an impact on the company's value proposition, i.e. what they sell externally, and less than 20% can be expected to have a truly disruptive impact on the industry in which they're deployed. AI is being deployed in a fantastically impactful way on internal processes, but much less so on other areas of the business. This focus on internal cost savings is understandable. Any dollar saved comes straight off the bottom line. So inevitably, that's the first focus. In contrast with the relatively low degree of sophistication of the use cases, the level of autonomy in the deployments is quite impressive. Almost one third of deployments around the world are used in order to fully automate a decision-making process, i.e. to remove a human element from a business process. This implies that where it's being adopted, AI is being used in quite an aggressive way, fundamentally transforming the process into which it's being adopted. So where adopted, AI is not just an add-on. 
but it's fundamentally changing or replacing the legacy process. AI is also demonstrating a relatively quick time to deploy and pay back. Over 70% of projects take less than a year to deploy and almost 75% pay back within two years. It's almost inevitable that when enterprises shift to more transformational uses of AI that that deployment and payback timescale will get longer. Nevertheless, those short timeframes bode well for the future. Another positive indicator of future widespread adoption is the degree to which deployments are based on productized solutions. Over 70% of AI implementations are based on fully productized solutions and less than 10% are one-offs. Replicability is going to be a key factor for the widespread use of AI. At Transformer Insights, we expect the requirement for customization to increase substantially the more sophisticated the use case. Nevertheless, it's starting from a very high baseline of productization and therefore replicability. AI as it's deployed today is also surprisingly lacking in complexity in terms of key deployment parameters. At Transformer Insights, we look at three areas of complexity. We look at functional complexity, i.e. how complex the actual project is. We look at stakeholder complexity, i.e. the number of internal and external stakeholders in a project. And we look at geographical scale, i.e. how many countries is it deployed in. Perhaps unsurprisingly, AI projects are amongst the most functionally complex that we look at. There's little doubting that AI in all its incarnations, no matter how mundane, is cutting-edge stuff. However, stakeholder and geographical complexity rates remain low. Some of the barriers to deploying other technologies don't seem to manifest themselves with regard to rolling out AI, at least not for current deployments. The message from examining real-world AI deployments is fairly clear. Today, we seem to have barely scratched the surface of the possible enterprise applications. The early adoption is understandably happening in those use cases that represent quick wins for the enterprises deploying them. As such, it's no different from the adoption of more or less any other new technology you choose to name. Quick wins tend to involve internal efficiency savings as they have the most immediate impact on the organisation. They also tend to be the easiest to implement because of the lack of internal barriers. Saving money tends not to need a lot of approvals or necessitate a fundamental transformation in how the company runs. Once you move out of cutting costs and interchanging products, the number of interested stakeholders tends to grow exponentially. At that point, the complexity level rises and the time to deploy gets longer. As is the case with the adoption of almost all new technologies, it's the internal process, business model, system and culture changes that are a real challenge. AI is poised to move into this space and anyone serious about adopting it will need to look very carefully first at whether it's made the necessary internal process changes to do so. That's been a brisk whiz through topics of artificial intelligence, device management, and mobile private networks. Next week, I want to talk a little bit about the Amazon reInvent virtual event, which I tuned in for during December. I also want to cover the topic of using different technologies for connecting IoT devices and why having a diverse portfolio of technologies at your fingertips is a useful thing. And I also want to give a little summary of an interview I did recently with an executive from Sierra Wireless, which gave some interesting perspectives on the technology space. I hope you can join me. Just a reminder, if you're enjoying the podcast, I'd be obliged if you could leave a review. It will be much appreciated. Links to some of the research that I've been referring to in this week's show, as well as the transcript of the recording, will be available on the podcast website at wirelessnoodle.com.
Thank you for joining me. I've been Matt Hatton and you've been listening to The Wireless Noodle. Thank you for listening to The Wireless Noodle. If you'd like to learn more about the research that I do on IoT, AI and more, you can follow me on Twitter at Matty Hatton and you can check out transformerinsights.com that's transformer with an A 